Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters Podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And today we are returning to the feminism series to discuss the wonderful women in strange new worlds. How long has it been since the feminism series, Ashlyn? Like five series ago? Six? I don't even know. So it was right after movies. Our first episode of feminism came out February 21st, 2022. So we are almost about a year away from the feminism series and boy has it left a mark on my heart and my a year mind away almost two years actually. almost two years oh, still God. is in 2023 <laughs> yeah no i'm fully, fully not transitioned wow like, that's February two years. Of 2024 is coming up in four oh days gosh, so almost two years wow wait that's i outed myself right there yeah. very confused <laughs> about time straight up <laughs> yeah <laughs> Forget about not knowing Starfleet, Starfleet uh, or star dates. Ashlyn does not know the actual date. <laughs> Probably better at star dates at this point. Oh um. God, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but wow, yes, almost two years um, since we started feminism. We have returned to it often um, in the past. We recently-ish discussed feminism with our little sister Gabby in Prodigy. Um, and now we're back talking about Strange New Worlds. This is pretty much long awaited because we wanted to give Strange New Worlds a little bit more time. I think that season two was just about to come out before, like as we were finishing up Feminism. And so we didn't want to just do one season of Feminism when a whole new season was coming out and we were going to get new content. So now that season two has been <laughs> watched and rewatched and triple watched and we are <laughs> fully into it and have seen it all, uh, we have now prepared to talk about feminism in Strange New Worlds and just have more content now. So I'm really excited. Yes. Oh, Rihanna, agree with everything you say. I am very excited to tackle this. And this was a clear winner. So we actually put out a poll for this episode to see what our fans wanted to hear us talk about. We had options between Strange New Worlds, Love and Affection, Feminism, of course, Strange New World Villains, and Picard Time Travel. But across the board, feminism won uh, very clearly. So this is what the people want to hear, I guess. I am happy to be returning to feminism. I I think I didn't tell this on the pod, but Rihanna and I, when we were talking about returning to the series, I mentioned that I always have a little trepidation when we go to feminism because I worry I'm going to be misrepresenting women and like not able to talk about or I guess not able to do justice to these characters and I also don't want to say anything wrong so but Rihanna was very sweet I said one you identify as female so you've already got a leg up in talking about feminism we already have had these incredible discussions with the rest of Star Trek and I think like doing something even though we're worried about it being a complicated issue or talking about something that maybe 
difficult to discuss is all the more necessary and all the more important for our own growth and our growth on the pod. You know, I think that like, <laughs> I'm sure we've said, both of us have said stuff that offends people or that is maybe seen the wrong way or interpreted differently because of someone else's life view. And that's just how it goes, you know, even with pods that I love and adore, there's times where I'm like, I disagree with that opinion, but fair enough, you know, like I still respect this person. And I think that, I don't know, your your opinion is always so valid and always so important to the pod. Um, Cause you're gonna even have different viewpoints on feminism than I do, even though we're literally like cut from the same cloth and everything and have had similar life experiences. We still can both bring so much to the table, even though we happen to be just white, you know, it doesn't mean that our feminism is white. It means that it's, you know, we're going to be ever talking and growing and I'm really excited to do it. So I'm essentially told her, don't be afraid. Um, but I was a lot more tough love. <laughs> well, than what I, am you, today. I was just transfixed getting this lecture again. I, I feel, <laughs> I feel validated. It's and just a good reminder that everyone's voice in the feminist movement is important, including men, including people who don't identify as either male or female, like everything is important for the advancement of equality, everyone's voice. So <laughs> see, that's why I'm glad we have Rihanna on the pot because whoa, <laughs> she brings the depth <laughs> that I'm a, like wanting to tiptoe around. So <laughs> and I'm like, listen here. <laughs> I just also, just to add to the picture, Rihanna's taking a drink right now out of her Spock mug that has Spock flipping off you, flipping, flip that Spock flipping you off and saying, live short and suffer. So she just gave that speech and just like drinking anyway. tea out of Spock. Yeah. yeah I have a chai mixed with coffee right now because I'm very like sleep deprived. So, um, Ashlyn, if you're worried about this pod being whatever controversial or difficult to talk about i'm worried about getting through this pod because i'm exhausted and i texted ashlyn before like i'm fully looking into the void today like i it's not a good mental health day but i'm here because i love the pod and it always makes my day better like i'm even just i've laughed more than i have the whole day just talking to ashlyn already so and ashlyn was joking about hank and john you want to talk about what you said to me that was so funny oh i just said you know if you listen to the podcast your hank and john like i do religiously um <laughs> you'll know that sometimes john will just come to the pod and he's like hello i am experiencing a lot of depression today but i am here and i am not gonna be my most excited self but like mm -hmm. i'm here because i want to do the pod like he says he's, he's very open about yeah. how his day-to-day -day goes and you know, I, I think about him a lot as just like such an amazing figure, but one who is just so transparent with his mental health and, yeah. and helping to destigmatize that kind of thing. And then mm -hmm. <laughs> Hank on the other end is always like, Wah! and <laughs> I, so I feel like today that kind of might be the same dynamic yes. that we're bringing is Rihanna's very like calm and, you know, very practical. Well, and I'll just be like, I had like three cups of coffee, so I'll make up for your energy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's that's me today. I'm like yeah. jiving on three cups of coffee, and I'm I have espresso. A, I have a, yeah, I made a giant espresso. That's a different story, but I like got a new espresso machine and wildly, wildly overestimated my um, espresso bean uh, measurement. I just literally, yeah, it was I was awful. I made an entire cup of only espresso, and that is like I will. I'm off a seizure if I just chug that much espresso. <laughs> espresso. So 
<laughs> so it's anyway, okay. our our literal father, and I'm totally just outing him right now <laughs> on the pod. He didn't know what an espresso was, and so he ordered it at a restaurant in Chicago no, when he came to no, visit, stop. and it came in this tiny cup, and he went, "What's this?" <laughs> like essentially, like where's the rest of it? <laughs> and my stepmom, his wife, was like um robbie that's an espresso it's supposed to be that small so it runs in the family that we have no effing clue what an espresso is oh my god i i think i forgot that story that's he had that's, a tiny cup oh. i have a photo actually of him with his tiny espresso cup he looks so confused <laughs> oh, oh yeah so, i mean because you don't shade realize like that's <laughs> that's oh my gosh that's so funny the apple doesn't far fall from far Fall far. I agree. Oh, <laughs> agree with what you said. Dad also struggles with idioms like that, so I'm not surprised. Oh my gosh! Wow. This is the oh. roasting pod. Actually, I've come here. I'm like, hi. I'm feeling terrible today. I live short and suffer. I guess. No. Here's a bunch of roasts on Ashlyn. Here's the roast. Here's the roast of my father, yeah. my sister. <laughs> Up next, we are roasting. Um, <laughs> yeah, who's my next victim? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> anyway. I think the, we uh, should have the opposite of a, of a roast now, Ashlyn. I think we should bring back a part of the pod that uh, was active during feminism. I actually went and listened to a bit of the Deep Space Nine feminism episode again. Because we always forget what our questions were for the series, you know, I feel like I'm always like, what did we even ask? And I realized that we used to do shout outs on this podcast. Whoa. <laughs> who, who remembered that? Not me. We Not need the person an archivist to remind us. And I used yeah. to think this also about Dear Hank and John, like, I will take notes for you all because mm-hmm. you all seem to forget what's going on. Yeah. So if anyone uh, they could forgot be an archivist. They forgot most, like, famous uh, inside jokes with their fan base. And they're yeah. like, what does pumpkins and penguins mean? Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's like, like, are, are you, you kidding? Sick? Like, <laughs> like You've been making this joke for 10 years and you all <laughs> forgot what it meant. Yeah, that was... That made me feel yeah. old when they forgot that. When they forgot themselves, their own lore. I mean, it happens. Okay, now we know how it feels. Yeah, now it's biting <laughs> us in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is all to say that I was delighted to hear that we used to give shout outs to podcasts or people or actors or whatever we were feeling that week. And so I thought in the spirit of sort of the catch up series in general, which is us returning to old series to catch up, <laughs> that we would go and do a shout out this week. And so Ashlyn, would you mind giving us the shout out for this week? I would absolutely love to. This week we are shouting out the Brides of Chaotica podcast, which has Mm -hmm. now three episodes. So they just, it's like a brand new podcast. It is run by a dear fan of this show and a friend who we love interacting with. And we always think like, man, we want to meet Taylor (laughs) at some point. No, legitimately, Um, yeah. So yeah, shout out to the Brides of Chaotic podcast. They are Chaotic. Can you say it again? <laughs> Chaotic. <laughs> it's your little slang. The Brides okay. of Chaotic. Brides of Chaotic. Brides of Chaotic. Okay, McCoy. <laughs> I see you. Your little mint julep. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So the Brides of Chaotica podcast is two 
people, one Trekkie and her non-friend Trekkie, are journeying through random Star Trek episodes in an attempt to initiate a non-Trekkie into full-fledged You said non-friend Trekkie. I'm so sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry, That seems savage. I think I think you meant to read non-Trekkie friend. <laughs> I did. I did. I just like the Non-friend Trekkie. <laughs> this is some bitch that I didn't. It's not my friend. random Trekkie. Not my Trekkie friend. I know. We're acquaintances. Okay, oh, wow, this is the worst oh, plug for Brides of Chaotica oh I've oh ever heard god. in my life. Oh my god. <laughs> We're doing them such a disservice. I'm okay. so sorry. I'm starting so again. Thank like, you. I Ashley. mean, all press is good press. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's one Trekkie and her non Trekkie friend. So, friend, but not a Trekkie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They uh, are on a journey to watch random Star Trek episodes in an attempt to initiate the non Trekkie into full fledged Trekdom or at least have a great time trying. <laughs> so, this so is an far... incredible premise, by the way. Like, I just got to say, when I heard it, I was like, I'm immediately interested. Because not only is it bringing someone in who hasn't seen Star Trek, because that's always a fun perspective, but also doing random episodes of Star Trek, like, that is so fun because you never know what you're going to get or how the non-Trekkie is going <laughs> to interact yes. with these episodes. I just love it. It's genius. Very nerve-wracking. I feel nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like showing oh, God, anyone your gonna favorite love thing. This, like, they're going to love this classic episode. I hope so. Um, yeah, so I misspoke. Only two episodes out. Again, this is a great ad for Bryce Theatica. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, they have reviewed Voyager's Sacred Ground and uh, TNG's Remember Me. So, wow. wow. Bangers yeah. already. <laughs> Nonstop bangers. So there's our very um, wonderful... Chaotic... Um... <laughs> Yes. But there's our very Chaotica plug, yeah. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, also, we want to remind everybody that we are a part of the Farewell to Disco tour that is happening in the end of March. And right now, we really encourage you to go join the Strange New Pods Discord. You can find that link on our social media. It will be pinned yeah, in the it'll be it'll be pinned so you can just join it should also be on strange new pods social media as well just join their discord and then we are hosting a watch along so we will be watching every single episode of discovery until the release of season five so i know everybody wants to do a full rewatch when the last season of a show is coming i always have that inclination happen too totally. and so i really appreciate having this watch along so i can just get them in it's one or two a night sometimes we do a triple feature so you'll have to like drink some coffee to stay up with us yeah. but the strange new pod will be hosting season one and three and we will be hosting seasons two and four so please sign up it's totally free discord you know it's just a normal app so go join it yeah. at strange new pod that we're under a channel in the in Strange New Pods Discord. So if you're not familiar with it, just keep searching. You'll see the Dura Sisters channel, and that's where you can find news, the watch alongs, just other things going on. So yay, so fun, yeah, so exciting. Okay, so I kind of feel like action figures is the last thing on our list before we start, but I kind of feel like we need them now. I'm feeling yes. like I need a friend to get need me through help. this. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. Okay, let me and go grab mine. Oh, wow. Okay, Ashlyn. Who did you choose as your friend today? I chose Sarek. Oh! <laughs> who is notably absent from Strange New Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad there's not an Amanda action figure. Oh, uh, maybe there is, but we don't have it. Maybe. 
never seen one though. Okay, <laughs> Rihanna. <about> that. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> this okay, is our hi, new Sarah. feminism rant. Um, okay, so uh, Rihanna, who have you chosen? Just realized that we chose no women for this, this feminism episode. I have Jake Sisko here Aww. as a tiny, small boy. Small. Um, he's in his all-brown jumpsuit with his brown. Uh, what would you call that? <laughs> like, a, like a poncho. <laughs> or like a, a poncho yeah. or a. I don't know. He's got a little above shirt over his brown jumpsuit. He has season one vibes, and you all know what yes. I mean. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That tracks. Okay, so now that we have our friends, let's get to the question. Ashlyn, would you do the honors of asking it and remind all of our listeners what the feminism question even was? Yes. The feminism question is one of our greatest questions, I think. It's which mm -hmm. man drinks the most respect women juice? And I think that's just <laughs> wonderful. Um, it, I mean, yeah. hilarious wording. And then also, it's important <laughs> to involve men in the conversation, as Rihanna said. So what a wonderful question. And I'm wondering, Rihanna, what is your answer? Which man in Strange New Worlds Hat, drinks the most respect women juice and you know i'm kind of thinking this is sort of similar to our ally question in mirror it's yes. like okay if you were in strange new world which men would you which man would you trust <laughs> you know which are the non-red flags like, yeah, yeah. Yes. who's gonna be your ally in this situation ally. yeah ally you know, um my i racked my brains for a while but you arachne at your brains i'm sorry <laughs> Another Chaotica plug. <laughs> um, so, yes, I was arachneing my brains last night, it, trying to think about the answer to this question. But I am honestly going to go with Dr. Joseph Minbango because I think that this man chugs respect women juice. Like, he has it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He clearly respects rakia's choices to go off with a you know supernatural being for her rest of her life he clearly respects la'an to do a good throwdown fight <laughs> together um and he does not hold his punches he will punch both women and men equally hard which I appreciate <laughs> very true yes. um i just feel like he also treats chapel not at all like just like this female nurse you know of his like he definitely treats her like an equal it's never really a conversation about the women around him. It's just the conversation of the people. So I've never seen a like sexist bone in his body, you know, and unless he hides it really well, I just think Minbenga is drinking that juice. And I really respect that for him. My answer would have been Spock, but there's just too much chapel nonsense for me to be able to <laughs> Early say Spock that. does not, he does not drink the juice yet. <laughs> no, no, he's sipping it, but Mimbenga's like, it's in his rotation of drinks. So Ashlyn, I'm wondering what was your answer for this? Who drinks the juice? Well, complimenting you on your answer, great choice with Mimbenga. I agree with everything that you said. I am going to go with my obvious answer, which is Pike. She knew, she knew, knew, she knew. Okay. <laughs> okay. The thing with Pike, and maybe this is why you didn't choose him, Rihanna, is because he he almost drinks it too much. <laughs> like, yes, yes. Yeah. That's what I was going to say about Kirk, too. Yes. Oh, but Kirk was, was yeah. also going to be my answer. I was thinking about him when I was watching some of these episodes today. Yeah, Pike 
I mean, he is on a bridge of basically women. So Yes. his, his not, not, I'm sure like some of it is choice some of it's just like Starfleet chef around personnel, but like there's so many women around Pike and he just treats everyone equally. I, I love him. I adore him. Yeah. Pike. Yeah, great answer. I love that. Yeah, I think for Kirk, <laughs> it's almost the like, he's trying too hard almost where he's like, no, I swear I'm an ally. He's like, just the whole things with Laud of being like, but you had that idea first. So you say it or like, sorry, didn't mean to step on your toes. I forgot that I'm not in command here. And it's just like, <laughs> just like be normal <laughs> around this woman, please. <laughs> um, You asked so... James Kirk to be normal. Wow. around women especially tough for him <laughs> um so True. ashlyn great question this is just like you said a phenomenal <laughs> way to start this pod now i think it's time to read the watch list that will get us to this pod and through Yes. this Wow. Okay. So Ooh. this is an overwhelming watch don't get list, scared but <laughs> Um, 
<laughs> to all of the background women that don't get a lot of time on screen, but we see in different episodes or as like small reoccurring characters. So we will be adding in some random ladies for yes. us all to celebrate throughout these categories. So incredible. I can't wait. Oh. Um, okay, Ashlyn, that means let's dive in. In Strange New Worlds, I just want to briefly talk about, this is the pilot episode, I want to briefly talk about how La'an is introduced, because we know going in from, if you've seen The Cage, and if you've seen any of Discovery, you know that Pike's number one is number one, it's Una. Mm -hmm. And so when this show, when this episode starts, Una is missing. And so that's the point of the mission that Chris has been assigned to do chris has oh, been assigned first new basis pike i love that you're like i want to be captain battelle uh, brianna you said it not me okay <laughs> like oh chris and i discussed this <laughs> honestly i think that's why i've seen so many personal scenes with pike because of this uh pod yeah. everyone calls him chris now so <laughs> Chris and I, yeah, so he's been assigned to go and rescue number one. And so when he gets on the Enterprise, which has been refitted, I didn't need to say that, but it has. And, yeah, it has been refitted. And he meets La'an. She has been assigned as acting number one. And she's also the head security officer aboard Enterprise. So she's, that's number three. You know, we have an established third in command who is stepping up to take the place of first officer. And I think she gives off a really serious, but like badass impression. Yeah, I mean, I think that she immediately comes across as a strength or as a pillar, as any security officer kind of should, you know, they should be a little bit intimidating, a little bit like, you know, when you're around them that you're going to be safe or you're going to be protected. You know, I feel like she definitely gives off that vibe immediately and a no bullshit vibe. Like, absolutely. This is 100% her MO is like, be very serious, take the job extremely seriously and don't get too close to anyone. Just like, tell them like it is. And you'll make it, make it out of there alive. That's been her mentality for forever. So it's interesting to see this kind of an action in the first episode. Agreed. And in addition to that, I also see that she's not afraid to take risks. Like there's a scene when her and Pike and Spock are have been transformed. And they're beamed down to this colony that has not had first contact happen with Starfleet. They But they have warp capability. And so they're in disguise. And La'an just improvises. When she sees two guards walking towards them, she pretends like she's sick. And then she basically tells Spock, like, Vulcan grip them. So La'an is the one making this mission happen. She didn't stop to... I mean, she asked Pike permission to improvise, which I think shows, yeah. <laughs> like, she's having fun, you know? <laughs> she's like, wait, I have a brilliant idea. Can I do this idea? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, and I love that. And that's, again, why Pike chugs the juice, because he's just like go for it. I trust you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He trusts her enough to know that even if it's unconventional, it'll get what they need done. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, we see later in the episode that she has great combat ability. So really introduced as a badass with a hard shell. <laughs> yes, except for around Una, like they also introduce a bit of their relationship and a bit of their connection. I think the only time we see her shell I don't know, softened? <laughs> How do you say that? Like, broken apart a little bit is by Una because it's clear that they have a relationship. Um, 
friendship or mentorship or something seems kind of motherly almost that Una is acting around Lon. And then of course we're learning later on that she was rescued by Una and Una's like crew basically, or whomever was with Una was, you know, serving with the time. So I think that's really beautiful. And it sets up that there is someone who can sort of break through that barrier. So we know that it'll add some really interesting dynamics, especially when it's like these two women who are um, interacting and supporting one another. I just always love to see that, you know? Absolutely. I like that La'on calls her chief and we never get an explanation for it. I This happens throughout both seasons and I want to know like was she chief um was she uh chief transporter <laughs> like yeah it was was the on like it was yeah exactly but anyway yeah th- I think this is a really great introduction and like you said a great way to just showcase their friendship yeah okay I think let's go on to memento mori because that is gonna solidify even more in this episode well absolutely including her roles as a security as a security officer i think is really even more solidified in this episode when there is a crisis like this which is a gordon crisis and a like civilian you know civilians are in harm's way their ship is being attacked all this kind of stuff so a lot of really high stakes that laon is facing as a security officer and just as a person who is also mentally combating the trauma of facing off with the Gorn in the past, when she finally realizes that this is the Gorn that they're facing, a lot of that resurfaces of her brother's death and like just her whole experience experience on the breeding planet. And so I think it it's just a really a testament to her strength and also to Starfleet's toxic values of sacrifice your mental health for the mission that it or your physical health for that matter. I think that this is, you know, extremely common for Starfleet. We talk about it in every single series, basically. And I just see it, especially as a trend with La'an, particularly. She's very self-sacrificial and very much like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the me. (laughs) You know, like she truly will not think about herself and what is best for her because being in this situation at all, not best for her. Going to that shuttle and having to mind meld with Spock, not best for her like this is like opposite of mental health or of uh like a self-care you know moment so just wanting to acknowledge that that it's a double-edged sword you know that like yes we can acknowledge how brave and willing she is to put her life and her mental health on the line but also that it should not be necessary or ever be driven to this point but that's starfleet for you she has a lot of knowledge therefore they need to use her to get out of the situation I think this is a problem that comes up with a lot of Starfleet officers. Like, just the nature of the job is you yeah, like get in all of them. <laughs> really traumatic situations. And I think the ability to car- to compartmentalize is absolutely necessary because sometimes these encounters that you'll have, sometimes these encounters that you'll have could be with aliens that there are not a lot of information about. Like it is exactly the case with La'an. And so anyone who has had firsthand experience is extremely invaluable to the situation. And La'an, like she's had this trauma for so long that it's like the, even the memory of it is trauma guarded. So she can't access it. And this is why she does this like crazy mind meld with Spock, which is yeah. so irresponsible. <laughs> like, so irresponsible. Yeah. It, 
I, I, I'm like speechless. On so many levels. <laughs> I was, I was texting Rihanna last night because we were both, you know, cramming these in that um, we should do a mind meld series and this should be yeah. ranked as like the number one, like stupidest, like most dumb mind meld because <laughs> I know yeah. it's like, okay, we get this background with La'an and you know for the for the watcher it's good information we learn more about her we get this depth and like can empathize with her more but just like on a practical level like no. you should you should not be in this situation so look at your position before mind melding with your coworker. like please yeah yeah and then even like spock reveals like that he had a yeah. sister he like the mind trauma, meld just like... gets out of control yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's very ill-advised um of course it saves the day but in Starfleet, they're always about finding that impossible third option. So I'm like, I think there could have been a way to figure it out without the trauma-induced <laughs> uh, mind meld. But yeah, so Ashlyn, you bring up really good points about La'an in general um, and about things being like trauma-guarded. I was going to just say too that La'an was a part of a colony ship with the USS Puget Sound and so her upbringing you know is kind of giving Mayweather you know kind of giving like didn't really grow up on earth really but she or maybe she grew up there but she, at least she was stationed or whatever like at this colony and ha on a colony ship and so it's just interesting to sort of factor that into her life experience and how she sort of interacts with her environment but you know as Menbenga sings that death threats are nothing new to us. It takes monumental strength and trust. So I think when La'an is able to lean on her friends and little crew family, it definitely helps her get through it. You know, it softens the blow a little bit, but that is also requiring her to be able to trust a little bit and be able to tell Pike, like, I can't do this, or here's why this is hard for me or whatever, you know, and then starting to learn how to open up. So I don't know, it's, it's really a good experience for her to have a group of people around her that want her to share and want her to go to therapy, you know, that she's like, oh, I have to see this stupid counselor, <laughs> all this stuff, she's so resistant to it, but they do it because they know it's best for her and they know that like, she will benefit off of it. Yes, well, I think, she is able to trust Pike and is able to trust her crewmates because Pike really trusts her. And I, I really like the scene where La'an and I think Ahura and Pike are in the ready room and they're talk maybe some other people, they're talking about this plan because La'an is saying, you know, it only takes one Gorn because they've, at this point, I think they've taken a bunch of the survivors onto the Gorn ship, or I mean, they've taken the survivors from this, rogue ship that was escaping a planet onto the enterprise and they're connected to the ship via tunnel and so but laan she's basically saying like how terrifying the gorn are and she's like we're gonna die you know very negative about it very like very serious and she doesn't want to lie to them and pike says when everybody else leaves maybe like cheer not cheer up but like you you have to give them hope too because if you get the crew to believe in the impossible, they might just deliver that impossible to you. And this is definitely something that Pike always lives by. I mean, we see this. He's like number one hype man on the Enterprise. And so he's he's telling La'an the same thing. But he's also listening to her because she's like, I'm not going to lie to them. Like, this is a really serious situation. And he's like, I don't want you to lie. But the like the hope comes from the truth. So, yes, like... 
they have this really great exchange and Pike, he said, he's like, whatever you can share with us about the Gorn is great. And I'm going to defer to you on this situation. So I think giving her that space that she needs is really important in letting her like blossom and becoming an officer. She gets the chance to have all these leadership opportunities because of the opportunities that Pike give her, that Pike gives her. So I, yeah, yes. love their friendship. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that they're able to find this middle ground pretty easily. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I think the the small step forward we get with on this episode, you know, we've learned that she's lost her brother on the colony ship when the Gorn attacked and she was the only one to survive. And it's because that's the Gorn policy is they leave one alive to tell someone else about what happened. And that was when Una found her and that's how she was inspired to join Starfleet. So this is her origin story that we get. Yeah. And she starts the episode off not wearing her little Memento Mori pin, like mm-hmm. the, the Day of Remembrance pin that says USS Puget Sound, because she's not processing that trauma. And mm-hmm. at the end of the episode, partially because of her like insanely ill-advised mind meld, she is starting to process that. And Pike also says to her in this episode, there's surviving and then there's living. And... I think that is La'an's whole thesis statement. Like this is, this is what she is all about and about trying to move on from, she's not just surviving anymore. She's actually trying to live. So I think that's a, this is a really good episode to establish who she is as a character. And I just want to applaud Strange New Worlds for having, uh, I think a really good episode to define a character. Like already early on, we're seeing episodes that are revolving around, female officers which is like you know that it's like feels like voyager you know what's going on (laughs) yes i'm so so glad you brought this up that's so beautiful and i think each of these characters kind of have their core that they grow from or subtract from or whatever throughout the series so far and you know with laon's prowess for the gorn and her knowledge you know for better or for worse, does get them out of the situation and will get them all, get most of them out of the situation and all those who wander, which is the tragic ninth episode of Strange New Worlds. I think that this one mostly is great to talk about because of La'an's leadership and her skills. Once again, Pike is really deferring to her, the senior Gorn expert in the room, absolutely. And she becomes this pillar of strength and safety again. She proposes that they use themselves as bait you know and comes up with the solution of like leading them out into the cold basically and freezing them out and so i think the fact that she is able to like you said compartmentalize look at the situation from just like a tactical standpoint that's what the best security officers can do you know is to look at dangerous situations not as you know oh we're all gonna die or there's no way out of it but making a way punching that hole or creating an impossible solution, which she does. And I think has also shown her growth, you know, maybe as being a little bit less pessimistic about like from the beginning, she was just ready to fight back and to try to get everyone out alive, you know? So I really, I just admire that about her and about already seeing a bit of her growth arc as both like a member of the enterprise, but just as a person too. Yes, absolutely agree with you, Rihanna. I I think all of this you're talking about like leadership style really comes out even in the very beginning of the episode because there is like the enterprise is already on a mission it has to go deliver supplies to a planet in need you know like always they're always just like a supply truck yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, like 
we have the medicine that will cure the deadly plague. <laughs> That's like any iteration of the Enterprise. Anyway, but Hang on, we have to look at this quasar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you have to deliver the supplies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about a TNG episode where they have to do that. Oh my god. Yeah, but there's yeah. also a TOS as well. <laughs> <laughs> Any Enterprise, you're so right. <laughs> Even Archer. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so, but they get this distress call on along the way, and it's the ship that's gone missing. That's gone missing. And La'an La is the one to say, well, what if we just take a shuttle down, and the Enterprise continues on their mission, and they come back and pick us up? easy you know and pike's like yeah that sounds great and he ex is excited to go too so she's like already like you know getting things going on this mission and then i think the plot progression that happens throughout all those who wander is pretty much all driven by laon as well like like rihanna said pike is deferring to her in a lot of these choices because of her experience but even things like her figuring out that Oriana, who was the child that was left to survive this Gorn attack, she calls her out right away. Like as soon as they meet her in sick bay, she's like, why didn't you tell that last crew about the Gorn? You know, she's like bombarding her with all these questions and everyone is like, Hey, you're being too hard on her. And she's like, no, I'm not because I know the situation. Like there's probably like, she has an instinct about this. Like she knows there's probably Gorn have been implanted in one of them or they're still here or something like that because Laon has experience in the situation. So yeah, I I, I think it, this is an impressive episode for her and a sad one because she knows right away, like Hemmer gets sprayed on by the Gorn and though he plays it off and sh so does she, Laon knows that that means death and he cannot possibly survive that and they don't have the technology to even attempt mm -hmm. to save him. So she, she's a soldier, you know, like yeah. she has to just keep going forward, knowing the fact that knowing for like half the episode that Hemmer is going to die. So, wow. Yeah, that's even more powerful to think about that she just literally soldiered on. I also think it's interesting. I know it's not technically on our watch list for Laon, but in Broken Circle, you know, when we see her in the beginning of episode or the beginning of season two, after like sh this is a continuous arc you know i thought that laon going to see going to help oriana find her family because oriana does survive this and i think laon is very connected to her because they have survived similar traumas um and experiences that she is dedicated to her and i feel like this is just so beautiful and really under discussed in strange new worlds the fact that laon literally like basically was gonna resign from Starfleet if she didn't get time off, which Pike was like, of course, I'll give you time off, <laughs> like, you're fine. Um, but it had to be off the books, it had to be literally not a part of sanctioned Starfleet mission, just on her own with no Starfleet aid to back her up with this girl helping to find, or just going to find her parents. So I just think that's really beautiful and a really cool thread that they took through the end of the season you know, and into the beginning of season two and just thinking about the bond that she made with Oriana that day. Yes. I, I really think that that Laon trying to locate Oriana's family and being so committed to her is a direct result of her trying to pay back what Una did for her because Una mm -hmm. saving her from that colony, abandoned colony completely changed her life's trajectory. And so she sees this child who was probably not much, not much younger than Laon when she was rescued 
in the same situation, it feels like a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, and I, I can understand why she would want to just like, this is more important than Starfleet as much as she loves Starfleet. This is higher for her on that list. So it shows like the deep, deep empathy that she has for this, for Oriana. And also Yeah. it's, it's a nice like character moment too, because it's, it's full circle, you know, like now to Oriana, Laon is that same figure that Una was to her. So it's, it's nice to see, this is just Starfleet, isn't it? You know, it's like, oh, who saved you and brought you Yeah. to, <laughs> to Starfleet? Exactly. And Saru's like, oh, for me, it was, it was Giorgio. <laughs> it was Giorgio who, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, like that's who so brought Giorgio true. to Starfleet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, So, I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think now it would be a good time. I'm going to go first with Yes. my cheers because I would like to toast and I have my boba. So I'm gonna have some boba when I toast. I would like to cheers to Oriana who did not let the circumstances that she found herself in get her down. And she seems like she was still able to find trust and hope because of uh, how resilient she is. So thank you to Oriana for existing and showing little girls everywhere that you can be badass. Cheers. Cheers. Ashlyn, that was a beautiful toast. What a Oh, beautiful. great way to start <laughs> Thank you. this, <laughs> our little toast here. That was gorgeous. So two other things I just want to quickly mention about Broken Circle that are just incredible and very just cool shout outs to other amazing women. First of all, Laon has her Marion moment. I was literally thinking of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones vibes. She is drinking this Klingon under the table. They're basically having a similar drinking contest as Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I just loved that little ode to another badass woman in media, you know, and just in general, the whole concept of like this giant Klingon completely just like puking and not able to finish this drinking contest and Laon is just upright doing fine <laughs> like I don't know I just there's something about that that is so powerful to me and I cannot you know be overlooked because she's already being this badass not doing like this is all her you know finding Oriana's family undercover no Starfleet kind of stuff and yet here she is still just like almost thriving in this like crazy Klingon run call or planet Yeah, it's it's incredible. <laughs> Totally agree. It did make me wonder if maybe since she comes from Khan as her ancestor, does like do they all have really strong tolerance to alcohol? Yeah, maybe. Like Yeah. maybe she's just like, I can drink you under the Yeah. table. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, Thanks, Khan. yeah. Yeah. Like it just burns off quicker. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, what a fun episode. We're gonna I'm gonna keep talking about drinking with Klingons in a different section. <laughs> So I, I think let's go on to Rukia. You know, we were just talking about Oriana and how, uh, you know, when she first meets La'an, La'an is very on her about, you know, what's going on with the Gorn. And Mbenga steps in and he says, stop talking that way to my daughter. And, you know, he's like, whoops, because this is, of course, episode nine. So I wanted to just like talk about Rukia for a little bit because she is a like small reoccurring character, Mbenga's daughter. She's just the cutest little thing. Oh my god, precious. so sweet and this she's very sadly dying and so and Mimbenka has put her in the transporter without telling anyone wild I mean Not the even the chief engineer. this is the wild west seriously like this is tell and this shows you how desperate he is and how much he loves his daughter and we know that 
his wife and her her mother are not around we assume that they died maybe in yeah a historical we don't get any information accident that would be yeah interesting maybe to learn that would be um, very star trek of them yes <laughs> that's true yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but so she yeah so it's it's a very every time she shows up it's very melancholy because it's wonderful to see Omega in this different uh like personality space he's very yeah open with her he's very sweet with her he's very just loving but also she, it's very limited time that they get to spend together and increasingly rukia is sadder and sadder about how much time she's spending in the transporter So it's, Yes. yeah, these scenes are, are sad to watch, I think. Yeah, and in general, you know, I just think about how children have so little autonomy over what they get to do with their lives, basically, until they're adults. And I think especially if a child is ill, then their autonomy is even more limited. And especially by if their parent is their doctor as well. So there's just so many complex um interactions going on with that and I'm sure it's just really hard for her to conceptualize you know that not not only is all this time passing in between these different beamins you know while she's outside of the buffer she's missing all this time with her father you know and yeah it's just really hard to think about and I think about like women girls everywhere who have felt like trapped or been physically trapped or whatever it may be you know children who can't really get out of their situation they're in like that's just um an important like thing in society we don't talk about a lot is just like children autonomy and like their lack of it you know and kind of just doing what your parent tells you to because it's your parent and they told you to and not saying that Mambanga you really made any bad decisions here because it was the decision of a parent desperate to save their child but it definitely caused harm because any decision like that would and especially one that's a sci-fi decision you know that includes this transporter buffer um yeah it's just difficult to to see these scenes but they're so powerful i really think that they're important to this sort of whole canon of strange new worlds Yes, thank you for mentioning that, Rihanna. I had never thought about it from that perspective because, like, you know, what you're talking about with, like, Rukia's autonomy. But I think in this situation, she would be dead in any other world, you know? Like, the, the transporter is extending her life. And so this is a last-ditch resort. And just because her her manifestations of her sickness are not physical, like, you can't see them, And maybe she doesn't feel them, feel that whatever she's, whatever is happening to her while she is out of the buffer. I think that makes it even harder for her to understand. Like, I know I'm sick, but like, is it really that bad? Like, why am I stuck in the transporter? And so I, I think also because Mbenga doesn't want to burden her <laughs> with that, you know, like you wouldn't want any child that young to be so burdened with what is happening to them. It's a really tricky situation. So Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I have so much sympathy for Mbenga. He must have thought like, I will be traveling on this five-year mission and I'm going to be exploring new technologies and new medicines that have never even been encountered before. So there's a chance to save Rukia because clearly there's nothing that Starfleet Medical could do for her. So it, it's even more emotional when this story comes to an end in the Elysian Kingdom We see scenes where she gets to hang out with, uh, like, what what is in "Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach." There's like this cute kid. He's the Mm-hmm. like, Yeah, the prince or whatever. the prince. Yeah, he's like the little cute little guy, and they get a nice scene where they get to play together. But then the next 
major, the last time that we really see Rukia is in the Elogium, Elysium Kingdom. Elogium is the Voyager episode. <laughs> yeah. That'd be well, a whole different thing. <laughs> so, Elogium Kingdom. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. This is Rukia's Elogium. <laughs> oh, no, oh, God. Um, but so, uh, yeah, in, in this episode, a a being somehow has trapped the enterprise in this nebula classic and the whole ship has been transformed into the thoughts basically that are going on in Rukia's head. Rukia is thinking about this storybook that Mbenga keeps reading the same chapter to her over and over again. It's written by Benny. What's his name? In Russell. Uh, yeah. By Benny Russell, who's Cisco and far beyond the stars. So he was a real author, by the way. Incredible confirmed thank you strange new worlds so uh that's what Mbenga has been reading to rukia and so he is trapped the Mbenga is trapped in this transformed enterprise during this episode and it turns out that she is the the secret to the whole story they in the story they talk about the the stone what is it? the mercury stone yeah and uh it's the something that the king holds most precious and at the end it turns out to be rukia so we get this absolutely devastating scene at the end of the episode where rukia like grows up into an adult and she like <laughs> yeah. goes and hangs out with this nebula and they become friends or lovers or something yeah and uh she's an adult and she says hi dad like everything's fine <laughs> <laughs> i'm great i'm healed like <laughs> yeah Wow. It's like jaw dropping. You never know what's going to happen in a day. Like, geez. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We, I think as all the pod have waffled back and forth about this decision uh, from the writer's perspective, but I still think it's so beautifully done, even if it feels rushed. You know, I still think that it, 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 it does a lot for her character, but it also then, of course, cuts out, cuts out any more interaction we could have had in the future with her. So who knows? why that decision was made if they were just wanting to wrap up the story quicker but i'm always you know wishing for more rukia content than we got especially that minbanga like never talks about her again in season two i'm like what <laughs> any mention of your daughter at all sir yeah rukia oration it's like Worf and alexander yeah you're so right these poor kids <laughs> like just get totally Being forgotten out here yeah. <laughs> yeah you know so ashlyn beautiful shout out to rukia i absolutely adore her i think let's talk a little bit about laon laon's what actually you forgot about like two episodes bro i wondered why you're going to rukia but that's fine what i thought you were just taking a break from laon no i straight up forgot about her <laughs> i was wondering i just went on like a 10 minute expose about rukia <laughs> i was like sure <laughs> i completely moved <laughs> <back> on <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think maybe it's fine. So now we just return to Lon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there she goes. There's Rukia. I just thought, you know, let's get all the children. Let's talk about them. So Oriana, Rukia, we love you both. Now let's return to Laon and go finish up season two, where she has some really prominent episodes. Of course, with one of my favorites from the whole series, Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow. Oh, okay. So this episode is where I started feeling like Laon has main character syndrome because when I was first watching Strange New Worlds and I think after finishing season one, I thought, okay, Pike's the main character, uh, like her is the main character. But then after this episode, I feel like Laon is, I mean, she really came into being one of my favorites. So 
in this episode, she has been given the momentous task of going back in time and fixing something that went wrong in the past because she sees a man get shot and we did a whole time travel explanation on this. So just watch, go listen to our last episode about that. She sees a man get shot. He says, go to the bridge, gives her some tech. She goes to the bridge. She sees Kirk, James T of all people. And then they end up going back in time together and trying to solve this crazy old kooky mystery together. <laughs> she presses the little button that makes them go back in time. Yep. Dare we forget that she's the one who just, like, no preparation, sends them both back in time in, like, panic mode. <laughs> yeah. Um, which cracks me up all the time because as much as La'an is so organized and everything, she will just randomly press a button <laughs> and drag people back in time with her. Well, this is what I'm saying about, like, she gets it done. She is the main driver of plot in a lot of these episodes because she is action-oriented. She's like, okay... I, I, I've been granted this mission by this random time travel dude. I have to go to the bridge, goes to the bridge. And then she sees whoever's the captain logically like this. She's completely making this up. Like we know by the end of the episode that get to the bridge was a reference to the bridge in Canada that Kirk and La'an are going to uh, encounter later in the episode. And so she just took this meeting and goes with Kirk. Like she could have gone alone, but she found herself like a really powerful friend and a fun friend and a, a you know, and more Ooh. to go on this journey with. So uh, yeah, I, this, she's the reason that they even know where they are. Cause he doesn't know anything about earth and she, or about her timeline of earth. She gets them clothes she has the idea to like get food and shelter and money yeah <laughs> and, yeah and money so she's the one who's like getting all of this done even though he's the captain and this is a great dichotomy that happens between them in this episode as well i think laon is a natural leader she just doesn't realize it you know and she just wouldn't admit it and so i think seeing her in these roles really solidifies that for me i'm like laon was like laon is absolutely a leader you know and i think that it really shows in like you're saying getting it done, taking a powerful person with her. And La'an is also very serious when they're in the hotel room and talking about their diverging timelines. You know, I think that like she is getting down to business, which is great for her job and terrible for her social life. <laughs> so that's sort of the double-edged sword that we're talking about with both Starfleet, how I was saying how like she will sacrifice her mental health for Starfleet. She will also for her job, you know, for herself and her own protection, as we see in later episodes, you know, she sings about it even, <laughs> that she will be more of a serious person and protect herself over being vulnerable and opening up. And of course she does here with Kirk later on in the episode, but um, I just think that's really interesting and an important thing to discuss, you know, that it's not just men who will hide behind, you know, just want to push their feelings down and not feel them. and isolate when they have an emotion they don't like you know and um shies away from feeling things and from admitting you know whether it's love or interest or passion or stuff like that like she just wants to keep it all very close to the chest and i think it's both a product of her environment and of just kind of a being a security person but also just her personality you know yes i totally agree and i i see a lot of myself in la'an because I was gonna say the same thing you guys are so similar yeah, yeah yeah we're very similar both of us are the type to sacrifice our happiness for other people and also not ones to show a lot of emotion about things and 
I see La'an in the beginning of this episode, she's fighting Mbenga and her personal demons at the same time. Like they are, they <laughs> well are in said. a fierce boxing match and Mbenga's like, you should talk to your doctor about this therapy that you need. And she's like, no, I don't, you know, just like punching away. To be medicated. Yeah, exactly. Which is normally when someone who says it that way, it means they need to be medicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we really see that I, I think this scene perfectly shows everything that we've been discussing in the whole first season. Like this is where La'an is, is at and very slowly she is starting to fit in with the crew. This is the other thing. The other reason I think we're so similar is because when we are, when we like, I, um, you know, we, I'm just saying we now when, when <laughs> I, besties. When, yeah. yeah, when us besties are in a work environment, I am not myself. Uh, I, I have like my work mask on <laughs> when I'm there and I'm not really there to make friends. I'm, I'm there to show up and do my job and get it done, but I'm not going to be too silly at work. And this has gotten me into trouble at not, not really into trouble, but like for rehearsals, because a lot of the work I do is performing and of course you need to like network and it makes it better if you make friends and form those deep bonds within the cast. But I always have had trouble with that because I am firstly there to get the job done. And I don't want to mess around and be silly. Like I think if I was on Picard, I think if I was on TNG season one working with Patrick Stewart, him and I would be vibing. Yeah. Like You'd no be, messing like, around, along to his lectures, no like, pranks. Exactly. Like we have to be serious. And that's me. And I think that's La'an too, mm -hmm. because she is reluctant to form these solid friendships with her crewmates, partially because she thinks they're gonna die, which is not something that I share with her. Um, you know, she's she's worried about getting close to people. And which makes me think. I should do something some reflecting. That, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, yeah, something that also Uhura and Una share, just as a reminder. Yes, a lot come. of a lot of these women have these yeah. same problems, and so I think tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is a beautiful way to show Laon breaking out of her shell, and it is it's questionable because the reason that it happens is basically because she falls in love, and it's because of a man, and. I am actually not upset about that because Agreed. I think Weirdly, it is yeah. done it is done very well and we're going to for sure talk about other women who are motivated by men in different sections so get and ready cuz it's done poorly yeah yeah where it's done poorly but I think this is an ex a shining example of how to write cuz this this is what Laon needs is to have a friend with someone who's, I mean, think about Una as her best friend. Una's so serious. Like, you know, where fun goes to die is her nickname. Damn, and so yeah. La'an, I think, sees a lot of kinship with her. And she's modeled herself after that behavior. And so... Yeah, and why do you think that Uhura would model herself after those two behavior? You know, like, as she's yes. becoming an ensign. I'm sorry to talk about Uhura a lot, but she's just a star. I think about her all the time. She is but a yeah. star. Yeah, absolutely. I think they all sort of see that modeling from Una particularly, but also La'an is such a figure to model after because she is strong and she is someone that I think even I would want to be, you know, I want to have more of that confidence and that strength. Yeah, exactly. So I think pairing her with Kirk to get this, to get a job done on this mission is brilliant because he is almost the opposite of her. He is goofy He's silly. He cracks jokes. But at the same time, he is really smart and he just makes plans differently. So like La'an needs to have every second 
structured out of their trip. And she's like, okay, this is what we need to do. And Kirk is not worried about it. He's like, it'll happen. It, Cause he's just Kirk. He, that's just what he does. And so I think for her to see that his lack of a plan, but relying on his instincts and ingenuity to get him through situations is, is also valuable and a valid way to get through this crisis. And he he makes jokes like he's making her laugh the whole time, which I think also really helps her to calm down. And uh, at, but she respects him at the same time. And I think she has never really met someone quite like him. And so, of course, she's going to like have feelings. And it's just a, it's a wonderful episode to watch. And it's beautiful to see La'an transform, because at the end of the episode, we see that. Kirk dies, number one, that's really sad. Yeah. And throughout the episode, she's not been plagued by the name Noonien Singh because Kirk doesn't even know who that is. That's a huge way off of her. So then when the other shoe drops and she is forced to protect Khan, literally baby Khan, because he's like yeah. locked up underground in Canada. It's like the eternal question, like if you met Hitler, would you kill him? You know, like Lon is truly faced with that. Yeah, exactly, because the Romulan named Sarah, who we haven't talked about yet, but we oh, will I'm soon. Do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Sarah wants to kill Baby Khan uh, because that's what... what... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Only here on the Dura Sisters podcast are you going to hear it called. Sarah wants to kill Baby Khan. <laughs> it's not wrong, though. Um yeah. Oh, it's straight facts. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's straight facts only. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. So because of that, uh, that that's what a Romulan computer told her to do and said, you know what will most like F up Earth <laughs> would be to kill baby Khan. So here she is uh, trying to achieve her goal. And La'an has the option to let her go on, but she doesn't. <laughs> And she chooses to protect Khan. <laughs> Always Laud and Khan is a great <laughs> rhyming scheme. <laughs> I gotta remember that from my poems. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Essential. Ashlyn, thank you once again for these phenomenal insights. Um, now is the time to get out your glasses because we are about to toast to who I've titled Evil Romulan Fake Human Lady in Tomorrow, 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 a.k.a. Sarah. Yes. So, also, I'm seeing that her name is spelled with one, it's like S-E-R-A. That's what I saw on So it's Alpha. like it's like a Romulan Sarah version. <laughs> it should have been like Sa'era or something. Like <laughs> or Sira. Like, or maybe it's Sira. <laughs> Ooh, Sira. Ooh, I can see that, like Sila. Um, yeah, okay, anyway. Well, anyway, to Sarah... Um, very devious. You win. You win a most devious Romulan award. Um, you went out like all Romulans do. Vanish mode. Um, <laughs> if they're captured. <laughs> um, and you are super smart, very intelligent. Also, a really good actor. I will give you that, Sarah. Very good actor. I was fooled. I was completely fooled by Sarah the Romulan, thinking she was Sarah the human conspiracy theorist x-files vibes but no it turns out she was cigarette smoking man vibes so um yeah so cheers cheers yeah i mean to be fair if uh, as someone who has almost spent 30 years on this earth i can also say that i'm going crazy too just like she is so 
Oh, 100%. Yeah. She says she's been there since before 1992. So she's really out here struggling. Oof. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Well, thank you for that lovely toast. Um, now that's done. And we, lucky us, wow, we get to go on to Subspace Rhapsody. <laughs> I just pulled up the lyrics for How Would That Feel? So you know that we're ready to talk about if you If you want, I could just sing the whole song instead. <laughs> you gotta do her little British accent too. Did I hear that right? <laughs> Shine a spotlight on our innermost feelings like it's no big deal. <laughs> She's doing this without lyrics, y'all. She is ready. I don't need lyrics. This is my favorite song yes. from the musical. Uh, yes. Okay, shine a spotlight on this, Ashlyn. Tell us more about How Would That Feel and La'an in Subspace Rhapsody. Man, I... In Subspace Rhapsody. I would love to. So... In one of the last, so what we, you know, what we didn't mention is like this love for Kirk, um, it transfers over into the, when, you know, La'an saves or when La'an goes back to her own timeline, this love follows her, even though she knows it's a different Kirk. She is, she interacts with him a couple of times. She FaceTimes him to like, make sure that he's alive and ask for Sam Kirk's date of birth, LOL. And Kirk hits on her classic and then in subspace rhapsody she is given advice or she is <laughs> hilariously she watches a duet between una and kirk that <laughs> it's <laughs> like your will do <laughs> your senior number one yeah it's a little um hilarious <laughs> but i'm <laughs> <and Sullivan. laughs> La'an is moved, unlike Rihanna and I, by this duet, <laughs> because she sings a power ballad about how Una is giving Kirk advice to express your feelings and connect with your crew and, like, don't be afraid to get close to them. And, you know, as someone who really worships Una and has seen this serious woman her entire career say that to Kirk is, you know, probably kind of disturbing and strange. And also, Una, what? What are you laughing? No, I'm laughing at Una. Like, just oh, like, yeah. <laughs> the littlest things can mean everything oh, when you're authentically you. Like, can she's I a motivational poster. Yeah. <laughs> she's Katiha. Like, <laughs> oh my God. She literally, literally. Um, yeah. So I think this is kind of surprising. And also, it's a natural evolution of what La'an has been feeling throughout these two seasons. Like I am stuck where I am and I'm unable to go anywhere because I am not expressing myself and I need to take a risk. She says, it's time to change my paradigm and let go of the wheel. Like she wants to become a person that is more spontaneous and is more relaxed and she wants to be living not just surviving and she's done a great job so far but this is another huge step for her so i think it's wonderful and i i love her power ballad like i said it's my favorite song <laughs> in the musical yeah and i think it, it says so much about her and the fact that so many characters are searching for this they're searching for a way to be more open and more willing to talk about their feelings and all of that it's really special and I think for La'an particularly being able to literally tell her feelings to Kirk in this episode is an insanely huge step even though Kirk's oopsie he's got a David on the way 
The tone. The I'm tone. So sorry. I'm the so tone. sorry. I'm so sorry. But what? They still don't have good birth control in this century. Like, it makes me furious. <laughs> Talking about feminist rights, like, do they still not prioritize women's health in this century? That's just my question. Ah, uh, I don't know. I, I like, don't. Like, it seems like they don't want David. <laughs> maybe, maybe Carol did, but it seems like David was unplanned. And, um... We'll have to reserve judgment. Maybe there's yeah. going to be a big scene where Carol's like, I like, I, like I've, I've end up trapping you. Like, <laughs> I got to lock this one down. That's what we're reserving judgment for. <laughs> <laughs> she said, best case scenario, she's locking Kirk down. Well, see, yeah, okay, Carol, I have is... no idea how, how she feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no you clue. know why we're at this quandary right now? It's because this was a choice that was made in TOS era. And so, <laughs> yes. it's so like that's what we're dealing with a lot in this series, actually. Yeah, yeah. they're not thinking about like when, when they made Wrath of Khan, they weren't thinking about like procreation in, in the future. You know, they weren't thinking <laughs> no. like, oh, man, that birth control has got to be rock solid, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, they're making it in the 80s. They're like, whatever. Everyone's whatever. having kids out of wedlock. Don't yeah. worry about it. Like... <laughs> so, You're yeah. Right. So I can't... <laughs> Whatever's going on <laughs> with Carol, <laughs> I, I'm a little worried to explore it, <laughs> to be honest. And I think it's just, like, such a bomb to drop in the musical episode. <laughs> There's already so much going on in the musical episode. We don't need like my baby's coming. At least they didn't sing it. At least that that wasn't a song. We could all thank the Lord <laughs> that that scene wasn't a dropping oh. baby bobs via like you know sonnet or via like a power ballad. Like who knows? I'm just um, yeah, <laughs> very shocked by that. This is all to say, extremely proud of Lon for her character growth. Yeah, because season one, Lon could never be here like she has grown so much almost to the point where, which I love this when you go back to watch like season one you can of his show you're like wow this character is like completely different now so proud of you Laon yeah <laughs> okay well Rihanna's yeah. still like recovering I can tell from the Carol Marcus <laughs> I truly am I truly can't stop thinking she's, about it she's like lost in translation <laughs> right now <laughs> oh okay, okay. so I, ooh, it's time I, for another show. Oh god, <laughs> another toast. <laughs> I don't. I just looked at the agenda. I was like, I don't like what's next. Oh god. Uh, okay. Well, the next toast is to because I I mentioned Rukia about thirty minutes ago, and in that episode, uh, I mentioned or and in that section, I talked about lift us where suffering cannot reach. So, uh, I have to give a shout out to Alora, which is the lady that Pike has a little flingy fling with. He, like, bangs her in this episode, and clearly they've banged before, um, which is, I'm sorry to, to introduce her that way. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, not, episode. that's not very Here's the people that she banged <laughs> <laughs> in the timeline. <laughs> Ashley's like, I have the receipts. <laughs> Yes. Well, okay, so I guess to give her some credit where credit is due, she's like the queen of this world. Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> mention that she's a leader of this world. Yeah, she is the the cult leader of this planet. Just just knowing that, you know, she has a complicated life. And so who she bangs is her own business. And it's none of <laughs> this ours. Is what, this is <laughs> <laughs> but so like cheers to her girly like you can be a cult leader leader and you can bang captain pike what a great time um 
your your morals may be like great, but at least you believe in them. So Yay! I think they're like <laughs> blood red for all the children she killed. Toast, toast. <laughs> Here's Child to Alora. <laughs> the vibes you know, of this pod are just immaculate. Well, yeah, because the vibes on. of these episodes are yeah. whiplashy, and there's like serious yeah. conversation, a private conversation, and then like wacky frustration yeah wackiness so there's like a higher amount of female antagonists in strange new worlds and i think that's to reflect all the women like that are like on the enterprise i don't know but it is interesting to see all these different dichotomies they have going on so with that being said i think let's let's go into chapel territory Woo! From one, <laughs> from one to the next we should have thought about that a little harder um, <laughs> okay um so i just want to interject before we move on to um because we're not actually moving on to chapel anymore um (laughs) (laughs) listeners didn't know but we just took a break and had a discussion (laughs) because there we we were just saying like there's so much justice we want to do to to these characters and we don't want to have to rush anything Mm -hmm. and based off the flow breaking news this is going to be a (laughs) two-parter We literally just discussed this, and um, at least my conclusion was that we had literally only talked about La'an as our main characters thus far in this podcast, and we're clocking in around two hours. We're, yeah, <laughs> so, with editing maybe an hour and a half, that's still yeah. a really good <laughs> good length of time. Yeah, and so, yes, thank you, Ashlyn. Like you said, we were climbing the mountain, and we decided to camp for the night <laughs> to <laughs> do this mountain in two parts. So thank you so much for always being flexible, for listening along. Um, Thanks for being this is flexible. part one, officially, <laughs> of the Feminism of Strange New Worlds podcast, um, where now we will be next talking about Pelia, Engineer Pelia, also known as Carol Kane, um, a newer addition to Strange New Worlds, but a, an important addition, an important addition none of, nonetheless. So, Ashlyn, I kind of actually want to jump in by saying, first of all, that like characters like Pelia are actually fairly common in Star Trek in the sense that she's kind of a second act add-on, you know, and I don't mean this as like a side add-on or like a, you know, a side thought. I I mean it as like an Esri or a Pulaski, you know, where kind of interrupting the flow of the show and changing it, it changes the dynamic and the flow of the show because we're used to Hammer and then you have Pelia in this season um, coming in at the broken circle. So I don't know. It's just like a reminder in, in general that, most of these characters that we start out being really wary of because they just feel like they're replacing a beloved character, like the examples I mentioned, um, can sometimes actually turn out really amazing. And I've thought of, and I, and there are some really good third act like addition characters that, you know, either I have just grown to love or just love in general. Um, so Ashlyn, let's talk about Pelia and her introduction in the broken circle, which like I said, is season two, episode one. How did you feel in general coming into this? I know that we've talked a bit about this in the engineering series, but I'm thinking now from a feminism perspective and just a like, like seeing sort of a completely different role for an engineer than maybe we've seen in a while. Um, how did that feel for you coming in? Yeah, I mean, I I share a lot of the thoughts that you've already said about even in this rewatch, because I when I started, I was a little wary of Pelia. I love her 
I, like, I love Carol Kane, amazing actor, but I wasn't sure how her type of humor would fit in with the rest of the crew because Agreed. it, you know, they joke about this in those old scientists, but like everyone talks really seriously and the tone is a little bit heavier than something like Lower Decks or a lot of other Star Trek shows. So I, I always felt kind of similar to how all these characters are reacting to Paleo. Like I instant, because it's Carol Kane, I instantly love her, but I'm also unsure about her place. And this rewatch today was the first time I've seen Strange New Worlds and did not feel that way. I was really psyched for Paleo. I was looking forward to all of the scenes that she's in because she has a way of making them so memorable. Like those scenes really stand out to me every time Bailey is there because something unhinged happens. So I really enjoyed <laughs> uh, getting to just watch her character again in Strange New Worlds. So in in Broken Circle, I think what a fun, what, a, what an interesting way to join the crew because it's not like she was assigned to be the chief engineer of Starfleet. Absolutely, Jesus! Damn, <laughs> promotion. She, was, she literally was not assigned that. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah, no, she was not assigned to be the chief engineer of the Enterprise, but she happened to be on the ship when she noticed that they were trying to steal it. <laughs> what a coincidence! <laughs> and so she's like, "Yeah, not only." Well, I join you on your like illegal mission, but then I want to chill with you after because it just sounds really fun. This is like exactly what she tells Spock. Like, yeah, she just volunteers herself. Yeah, and then <laughs> Pike, chief engineer. Pike, I assume there's really no scene where he's no. like formally like, "Hello, chief engineer." Yeah. Well, we're so happy to have you. Here's it's your just, transfer order. Anything? <laughs> yeah, no. It's just kind of like, and now she's here, and I, I sort of wish there had been that official thing. But because the first two episodes of season two are broken up, like Pike is not is barely in this first episode because he's like on his mission to Una. And then the rest of the crew is like not focused really. Like Paley is not a feature of Ad Aspra <laughs> Peraspera. So <No. laughs> we just kind of miss this whole interaction with Paleo joining the crew. She drops a lot of Easter eggs and like <laughs> things that make me excited to keep learning about her character because she's a Lanthanite which mm -hmm. is a species I've never heard of in Star Trek, uh, yeah. but they live extremely long lives and lived amongst humans for hundreds of years, thousands of years, thousands. Have we, thousands. how long have we been alive? Yeah. Thousands, 2000 I mean, years. She was there even before that Pythagoras invented his little theorem or whatever. Oh yeah. So, so thousands of years. Yeah. Billions and billions, billions and trillions. of miles. <laughs> thousands. <laughs> yeah. thousands, of miles. <laughs> thousands of years. Yeah. Um, so I, so, so number one, like the, the Lanthanite thing is so, I'm so curious about that. And then also mm -hmm. she mentions that she knows Amanda, like as in Spock's yes. mom. Yes. So dropping. that's yeah. very intriguing for me. And uh, I also just enjoy the scenes with her and Spock. So Rihanna, give me your paleo thoughts. Man, I have so many. I agree, Ashlyn. She's someone that I warmed up to every re every rewatch. And I think also having her in our engineering series really helped me to understand her better. Um, so now looking at her from this perspective, I feel like Pelia is so multifaceted so cool and also just like once again having representation for older women and just like also just women being weird like that's my favorite subgenre of care of female characters are just like the weird like the walks on a troys of the world like 
my favorites, you know, like, especially if they're like really fixated on a certain thing that they love, or like I'm thinking of, um, of the salt lady. <laughs> she fixated on what she really loves. Nancy Crater. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ashlyn, exactly. I love a woman who knows what she wants. <laughs> and even if that one is salt. <laughs> salt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, I think she's kind of weird and she embraces that and as someone who is self-proclaimed very weird and very silly and have always loved to like try to embarrass Ashlyn or Gabby by being weird it never works because they're always weirder than I am you know like we're, we just come from a, a like line of weird women and I just love seeing this in Palea that she does what she wants she steals art she like is a curator quote unquote she pretty much has been living so long that she gets to try all this stuff it kind of reminds me of Guinan in a way you know where has been living on earth for so long has kind of been all these different vocations and it's just Guinan's like I'm just gonna be a bartender for a while you know and similarly Pelia when they see her I'm jumping forward a little bit just since we're talking about her as a whole like in tomorrow 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 when they see her back in time, she literally hasn't even learned about how to be an engineer yet. And and yet by the time we see her in our current timeline in Strange New Worlds, she has been a renowned engineering professor at Starfleet for like as long as all of these kids to her basically have been before they were born even. And she taught a lot of them. She taught Hemmer. She taught Una. So I just think this this sort of idea that you can change your entire career at a late time in your life, or you can explore a whole new facet of your existence, even if you're 80, even if you're 20, even if you're like, you know, whatever, whatever age, if you're 189, or who knows how, how old Pelia is, but it doesn't matter because she can do whatever the hell she wants and she will. Like, She's got that Rutherford energy of like, I can just ask for what I deserve. Like, she's just like, can I be your chief engineer? And Spock's like, what? And she's like, okay, thanks. You know, that's kind of the, the vibe of this episode of Broken Circle. And just the fact that she teaches warp core breaches at the Academy. So she was able to see the sabotage right away. Like, she's like, nothing can get by her. I love that. But she's also like, the, like randomly obtuse about things like trying to hide her art theft like it's so obvious you know but she's like oh no I'm super sly about this like just so funny in all these different ways that I never really even gave her the time of day when I was first watching these episodes because I was so hurt about Hemmer and so frustrated that it wasn't Scotty you know just like weird I had these like weird expectations that were put on her that I think, you know, happen a lot to these second act um, characters who come in late to the crew. It's the Thank curse. Thank you for my TED talk, my spiel. Oh, I was, I was into every word you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, this is all about getting over the curse of the replacement character. Yeah. And with Palea, I think it's a little easier because we only had one season of Hammer. I mean, yes. same with, I don't know, Pulaski. Same with Crusher, though, yeah. Gates, but yeah. Pulaski is just another beast. <laughs> She's a special like, At least Esri is like a literal sunshine joy to be around. But <laughs> Pulaski's kind of a racist. Um... You know you know my shame, actually, and since this is a cash of mm -hmm. feminism episode, is yeah. that it, it was like two episodes after we had done TNG feminism that we both uh... remembered we did not do Pulaski in that episode. Yeah. And that is honestly a crime. And that like, is a we crime, are, especially because we just toasted like, <laughs> <laughs> like, 
horrible people in Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Like, yeah, we do we toasted the like cult leader before we did Pulaski. <laughs> before we did Pulaski. And I know I, those Pulaski lovers out there are just head in hands. And I'm so sorry. Like, we did not cater to you and to that base of fans. It shows our own bias. Yeah. Like, what do we have yeah. against Pulaski that we didn't even include her? That is that is rough. <laughs> <laughs> I have the receipts though. I don't know. I'm pretty mad at her still. <laughs> data <laughs> yeah yep 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 um anyway <laughs> oh don't get me started okay, anyway so, maybe someday yeah. we, someday we'll do pulaski we'll, part we'll take um, an internal look and then you know call ourselves in do an add-on <laughs> oh, a yeah. really late tng feminism part two <laughs> oh, the pulaski, the pulaski special, special. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> jinx um wow okay beautiful ashlyn um Anything else you want to say about Pelia? He's as... like, anything else before <laughs> anything we else before this, after this Pelaski bashing? Um, <laughs> did you want to say anything else about her in general? Um, I do briefly want to talk about her interaction with Ahura in Lost in Translation because I think it's fascinating. And But, you know, before we talk about her various interactions with the crew, do you have anything else you want to add? It was just her by herself. <laughs> Just lowly old Pelia. Yeah, I think let's just get on to the interactions mm -hmm. with the crew because those are some of my favorite scenes. Like when yeah. she is drinking with Spock, the Klingon blood wine oh, at the end of yes. Broken Circle. And mm -hmm. that's when she says, I knew Amanda. I, she was one of the first people I came out to. So, you know, uh -huh. we've, we've talked Double about meaning. on this pod about yeah. how perhaps they're lovers in the past. Mm -hmm. We can only hope. But I, I think it's really fun to see her interact with Spock and yeah that's just a gr very memorable scene really kind of spock is the only positive interaction she gets or at least first kind of first introductions with this crew because the other ones we see are fairly negative ahura for example in lost in translation is just very tentative about interacting with Pelia um, because she has she had opened her heart to her to hemmer and had learned so much from him and he'd become this pseudo like mentor to her and so to lose him, have this quote-unquote replacement come, was so uncomfortable to her that she just kind of pushed Pelia away. And instead of, you know, pushing through that tough interaction, uh, put, just decided to not interact at all. And so Pelia kind of just confronts her in this episode and is like, why have we never talked before? <laughs> you know, I've been on this ship for quite a bit now. And her is like, oh, I'm sure, like, we've talked and she's like nope i remember and then well her is like well welcome you know but this is just so hard for her and so they have this lovely discussion you know about hammer and palea is her kind of blunt self and i think that that's hard to hear especially like no one wants to hear anything any even remotely bad about hammer but she's like oh he was one of my like he was kind of a bad student in my class but i i don't know i appreciate the honesty about her because it's not off-putting when La'an does it, but it's the same brand of honesty. But I think that there, since everyone's a little bit wary of her, including us audience, it, it has a different flavor when Peli is that, that type of honesty. Yeah, I mean, Ahura, which, you know, we're going to go into detail in part two, she says that she, like, speaks very honestly and will sometimes be too straightforward with people. And so isn't that exactly what Pelia is doing too? But the problem yeah. is like, we feel like she doesn't know Hammer well enough to be speaking about him that way. So we're feeling protective after he's yes. died. And that, yeah, that's definitely off-putting. But it's, that's a great point you bring up, Rihanna. Everyone is very straight shooting on the Enterprise. <laughs> Spock, Una, Uhura, La'an. Like, that's just off the top of my head. All the people who just say what they mean. Ortegas? You know? Yeah, 
Pike's the only one Chapel? who beats around the bush. <laughs> Mbenga, like, y'all just... I think Mbenga and Pike are the most the only calm. only ones, <laughs> yeah. or, like, the ones who Not just calm. don't say that. what they want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't just outright say it. Yeah, so, yeah, I just an important double standard to think about um, when you sort of have your favoritism already in there, then it's really, it's a little bit harder to break or a little bit harder to accept someone new for anyone. And we see that with Ahura, and then we're going to see that with Una as they interact also in Lost in Translation. <laughs> Peli is having a lot of tough conversations with people this episode, um, and that also includes Una, because as we discussed a little bit in our engineering series, they have a bit of a confrontation in this, like, dilithium, not dilithium, um, deuterium refinery that Starfleet has set up that is actually, like, killing this alien, you know, lol kind of a side plot for this series but um una and Pelia here are discussing protocol and how Pelia is not following it and una is very furious about this and kind of snaps at Pelia at one point so let's unpack this conversation a little bit ashlyn what do you how do you feel about this how all of this goes down how the two of them interact well i think this is another case of two characters are just complete opposites and sometimes they would complement each other but in this case opposites do not attract like in friendship it seems yeah it's because not La'an and Kirk this time <laughs> no no exactly and also I think there's two there's sort of a power struggle going on in this dynamic because Una is first officer she's a commander she's ranked higher than una she is a higher play or she's ranked higher than Pelia. she has a higher place on the ship and yet Pelia feels like some of her knowledge because she's so old and has like been living for so long some of her knowledge is superior to una's and she does this specifically by like when they're trying to repel, repair this station, the dilithium mine or whatever. Deuterium, yeah. Yeah. Oh, deuterium. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this specifically happens when they're at this deuterium station trying to get it online. Una gives Palea a set of directions of like, here's the, here's the parts of the uh, station that we need to focus on. Here's what hasn't been completed yet. But Pelia has these instincts. You know, she we talked about this in the engineering series, but she just, she knows that it's not quite what Una is directing. So she's going to, yeah, she's going to follow orders, but also she's going to go off task and she's going to do some behind the scenes research that Una expressly told her, like, you can't improvise. And I think that sh it shows that Una doesn't trust her yet. And there, we've seen so many examples of characters on this show being given a ton of leeway to perform within Starfleet protocols, like a ton of leeway where Pike is like, go for it. And Una's like, yeah, I trust you, go for it. And characters like do like 10 backflips and you're like, okay, wow, this is crazy. But with Palea, she goes uh, into she like does a little more research than what Una is saying and and Una's furious at her and so it it seems really unfair but also I I can understand both women's perspectives too that's so well put Ashlyn and I feel like the most difficult thing about this for me is the fact that Una it feels like to me is is sort of 
acting like it's easier to put others down than face your own feelings or to pull rank and distance yourself than have these hard conversations and have these discussions around protocol on how to do this. She's yelling at Paley about having crumbs on her uniform. Like there's clear that there, that there is this deeper hurt here, you know, and first we hear, oh, it's about Una's, you know, bad grade on her paper, you know, but of course then we dig a little deeper and know that it's about her grief surrounding Hammer. And it's really great that we get to see this because we don't see it a lot from these characters besides Ahura um, dealing with her, the loss of Hammer, but seeing una as well is really important you know to show that that this is why she's reacting that way but yeah it's just it's hard to watch because for me i just have a hard time understanding una as a character and difficulty knowing her motivations and i think a lot of these characters as we're learning more about them we're realizing a lot of this stuff is trauma informed or is informed by trying to stay in starfleet or to run away from something you know like we we're unpacking these different reasons why these characters are being the way they are but it can still just be difficult to watch you know and i think that is it is hard to watch the scene where una is just tearing into pelia for this like one breach of protocol but for una that's the world you know her her starfleet is her foundation as we're going to talk about very soon during her courtroom episode you know that she leans so hard on Starfleet and when other people don't as much, it just infuriates her and to a to a point even higher than Laon. You know, Laon takes her job very seriously and so does so many people, but that kind of laxness of, of protocol, I think, is like a trigger for her almost. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, for Palea, you know, I don't think she cares about what Una says. Like, Yeah, she didn't care she, about Space Hippie. Like, she's <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, she's she's being dramatic about it, but I don't think she truly cares. And she is having a tough time. It seems like interacting with everybody, you know, we keep talking about all these negative interactions that she has, but we don't see any of that internalized on her part. It's not like she's the one moping around instead, like she does to Una. She suggests, I think you're mad at me because you miss Hammer and you want me to be him. And so she's able to solve this problem because she's like, logically, like everyone's having a tough time with me on board, but get used to it, you know, because I'm here. And I am really glad they show this reconciliation. I feel like so many times in media, when you have like a female versus female conflict, it's rare that you see the resolution and the change mm-hmm. of that dynamic. And it sometimes turns out to be a trope, like, oh, these women hate each other. And that's just always how, how it's going to yeah. be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and not to say that we can't have, you know, female enemies. <laughs> we all, sure. you, you yeah. know, we all know who we're thinking about um, <laughs> in our own lives, but yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, but I just think that's, you know, an important trope not to pass on into the next like era of television is that like every gender we if you want to have working relationship with someone you have to talk through this and figure out why these types of problems are coming up so i i yeah as like yeah as wild as all of this is it is interesting to see how palea is brought into the crew even more in the second half of the season agreed yeah and i think we're just going to see more and more of that acceptance or just forging relationships as the the show goes on 
Um, Ashlyn, we've transitioned really well into Una. So I think let's um, talk about her two really prominent episodes. We already discussed Lost in Translation. I also, can I just go back and yeah. talk about Strange New Worlds with Una? Yes, please. Yeah, let's discuss that because that's a really good introduction. I mean, she was technically introduced in Discovery. Um, so, you know, if you're feeling excited to get more Una content, go watch those Discovery episodes again where she's in it. She's great in it and she's in a short track and everything, but we're really mostly talking about her in Strange New Worlds. We did we did talk about her in Discovery. I think we gave her a little toast. <laughs> um, it's nice to see her finally at the end of Strange New Worlds. She has been captured and this is a, another theme that I noticed at the beginning of both seasons of Strange New World is we're first capturing Una, or we're saving Una, who's been captured. And then in season two in uh, Broken Circle, we're saving La'an, that is in danger on a True. different planet. <laughs> so these, these poor women... damsels in distress. Yeah, again. they keep getting captured. <laughs> so, um, so that's where we meet Una for the first time and where we find out that she knows Laon and they have this rich backstory that she's the reason she joined Starfleet and everything. Um, the other thing I just wanted to note is that from this first episode, we see how tight her and Pike are because as soon as he walks into the cell where she is, she's like, I had a feeling it was you. Like I knew yeah. you were going to come get me. And I just, Mm, you know, I think about like first officer teams and yes. if your first officer goes missing, like that captain is going to come get yes, you, you know, exactly. I just, I love this. And right away I can tell like they're, they're sharing glances with each other. They have really good chemistry, even at the end of the episode, because Pike is really struggling with his, like, I'm going to have a terrible accident in 10 years thing mm -hmm. and basically be immobile for the rest of my life. And he really leans on Una to help her to help him get through this throughout a lot of this first season because she's the only other person who has security clearance and spock to know about what happened with discovery so uh yeah, yeah i i just think like you know we talked about her with first officers absolutely love una and i think right away you get to see how tight she is with pike Oh, absolutely agreed. And I think, too, it shows that, like La'an, she is this pillar and she is the stability for the ship. I think that a number one a first officer has to be a little bit. They have to be sort of the if, the, if the captain is a little chaotic, then the first officer has to be very serious or vice versa, you know. So I really like that that's sort of the dynamic we still have going here. Um, and we get to learn a lot about her in various episodes as her story goes on so first we learn that she's an illyrian in the illyrian king or in the um i always mix Illyria. those up yeah <laughs> me too yeah They're like too similar illyrian mm -hmm. illyria um illogium <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um so you know we've talked very extensively about ghosts of illyria so i don't think we need to go super deep into this but it is important to talk about her role in this, not only as a first officer, she's having to deal with this whole crisis, light crisis on the ship. Everyone's obsessed with light. And she's also having to deal with the fact that she has kind of been outed as an Illyrian to the, 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 the medical staff. So to Nurse Chapel and Mimbenga. So that's just like, obviously for her, a scary step because she's going to have to, more people know her secret, meaning that more people could tell Starfleet. And, you know, we're learning now that she has lied on her application to Starfleet because 
augments are not allowed in Starfleet. <laughs> so um, we're unpeeling these layers. And I think that it's just really interesting to me to think about someone who will risk everything to be a part of this cause, a part of Starfleet, and will lie to be there, you know? And I don't know, I just think it's important to think about like someone believing in something that much, you know, is, is really incredible and almost a little like frightening how powerful of a hold Starfleet has on Una and how much faith she puts in it, I think is incredible and shows her loyalty and her just remarkable like faith and trust she has in Starfleet, but it can also be to her detriment, you know, as as is the fact when she is put on trial. So I don't know. It's very com- it's very complicated Una's relationship with Starfleet and just her relationship with the crew. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, geez. Oh, talk about opening up a can of worms. Like seriously, I I oh yeah. I'll just say before because it's we're begging to talk about um at Astra. It's like it's gonna come up in a second, but I just want to say in Ghost of Illyria similar to what I've been saying about La'an, that, that La'an gets things done, number one gets things done as well. And she has that same logical step-by-step mind. But in this episode, I think it's really prominent because we see her as captain and she does so well. I'm not, it, it almost feels like her and Pike are both captains together. Like I don't feel a sense of- Co-captain, yeah. Yeah, it's not like Riker trying to prove himself or- you know, there's there's no show off. There's no ego ha- happening. It's just Una being really badass, and she is fighting people at every turn. Like she's trying to figure out with Membenga and Chapel how to like how the virus got on the ship, and she's having this back and forth with Hemmer, and he's being very not communicating well, like closed off to her. I noticed he he's not willing you know only after being prodded a couple of times is he even willing to like run this diagnostic and she's trying to figure out like well was it in the biofilters and he's like no the transporters like the biofilters are would have filtered them out blah 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 he has an answer for everything but i'm just impressed by the depths of questions that she goes to and he's you know he's like no 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 and then okay fine i'll run a level five diagnostic and we'll figure out what's going on and it ends up like that's how they find out that the the medical transporter bay was not upgraded. So the fact that Hemmer didn't even know that, but Una pushed him through just her pure like fact finding mission that she's on. Like she's determined to solve this mystery and she does. She literally does everything in this episode. She finds the cure because she's having this conversation with La'an where, La- where she tells La'an that she's an Illyrian and they're having basically like, a confrontation while Lon is like also addicted to the light. <laughs> She's very like agitated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but she saves her life because her immune system, Laon's was at, or I mean, Una's immune system was activated and it saved Laon. And so they were able to get a cure from the light from Laon's blood. Um, they couldn't get it from Una's blood because it it just like zapped the it, anyway science some science stuff happened so they can't yeah. <laughs> get it from Una's blood anyway so I just want to compliment her like Sherlock Holmes who like no it's Una yeah. <laughs> like she, she is a great investigator yeah <laughs> she will figure out everything and she's not afraid to like get down to business I I love her I I really yeah. f- had a newfound respect for her watching specifically this episode I feel like it's a really good tribute to who she is as a character because. 
we we lack a lot of Una time. I feel like she gets one really good episode per season. And so that's why Mm -hmm. we have to now jump to season two, which is probably the best Una episode. Add Astra Perispera, which is the tattoo that I want to get on my arm. Yes, (laughs) Whenever someone says this, I like tear up. (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful. I know it's such a great saying and is a testament to the battle that Una is facing in this episode, which is her basically right to be not only stay in Starfleet, but stay out of prison as she is pleading not guilty for the crimes of being an Illyrian, which is essentially a big no-no in Starfleet. They cannot have any augments because of the eugenics wars, Khan, Nooney, and Singh, you know, all the above that we as Trek fans know about. I think the most important elements of this episode I want to talk about are Una's loyalty to Starfleet Una is just perseverance in general. I think that it's hard to imagine, you know, the, the life that she grew up in and until she paints it for us in this trial episode and until uh, Mira is able to sort of prod her childhood story out of her to show, you know, of course, this conclusion that Una is in fact seeking asylum and, you know, able to have protection under Starfleet from the childhood that she faced. So. I think that, like, it's really interesting because this episode with Una is not complete without Nira, you know, that this amazing lawyer who comes in basically on with Pike on bended knee asking her to come in to help Una out of this bind and have her not go to prison for 20 effing years. So, of course, there's so many amazing moral questions in this episode faced and implications and things like that but i think even from a feminism perspective this episode is so interesting because nira is reluctant to help una but she will do it to help elevate the illyrian cause have sort of another strike on starfleet be like guys like you are she's always been sort of out for starfleet because of what she's what they've done to her people and I think it does come from a begrudging loyalty to Una as well. Like she doesn't want to be uh, still to help her because she feels abandoned by Una, but I think she still will because there is this not only just bond of being like women, but being Illyrian of of facing, uh, she knows what it's like to face this system and to face unjust systems all the time. That's literally her job. Yes. I love this introduction of Nira as a character because we have seen what type of close friendship La'an has with Una. And so now we get to meet someone who knew Una when she was a child and grew up with her and has this very old history, deeply rooted in their culture, you know, insane thing that they experienced together, both being Illyrians and being persecuted against and targeted and hunted throughout their childhood is just so hard, like, whoa. But I I think it's wonderful to see these types of close female relationships on screen as well. And even though they have a rocky time, they, and I think this is part of why Nira takes this case, you know, Pike comes yeah. pleading to her saying, you know, it's Una, you have to help. Like, there's no one better than you. This will be good publicity for you, you know, because I know you can get this done and it's good for Una. So like, come help her. And so I think, you know, yes, Pike sort of persuaded her, but I think more deeply, she knows that she has unfinished business with Una and that this is her chance to make things right. Even if it's not even, even if she doesn't care about Una, it's also a chance to make things right for the Illyrians. So what a cool character, number one, like Nira Katul is her name. She's 
uh, like Una's representation <laughs> for this trial that she's going undergoing. And I'm just very impressed with her, even with her, especially, you know, she comes out very adversarial against Una in the first half of this episode, but then we reveal, you know, the type of childhood they had. And I really sympathize with them both, you know, um, Nira is someone who could not pass in their society as being human. And so Una left her behind when her family moved to the settlement because they ended up splitting up settlements of Illyrians and non-Illyrians and they moved to the non-Illyrian settlement. And that was the thing that really broke their friendship. That's completely understandable. And also they were their control. Yeah. They were children. You know, we're talking Mm -hmm. about autonomy of children. Like they're at the mercy of what their parents choose. And Mm -hmm. in the end, can you really be mad about that? You know? Exactly. And, and that Nero will put that aside to help stand up for her and for Illyrians and the cause, you know, I think that it's so, it's so beautiful to think about. And, the sort of the way she goes about it is so clever, you know, to put Una on the stand and have her tell that story and then getting the, you know, rules on asylum and the sort of properties you have to have as a person seeking asylum and how Una fit into all of those and how revealing all of this, putting Una on the stand also revealed that Una herself, she turned herself in, you know. So this is kind of the shocking reveal of the episode is the fact that she turned herself in because she believed in Starfleet to doing like Starfleet doing the right thing and I think also a part of her was a little bit guilty for having lied for so long for having pulled Pike into it and the others on you know so I think even putting her entire life on the line her entire autonomy her freedom everything it's so such a brave move and I think at first I was like are you dumb like are you serious right now this is such a such a stupid idea like why would you turn yourself in but it is a type of faith in something in an institution that I don't think I've ever had you know that type of conviction in they will do what's right for me and I will have people to stand up for me and she does of course but ironically it's not from Starfleet itself you know it's from this third party it's from Nira um but it still works out because there are protections written into Starfleet's laws like the one that she was able to use you know so it was a combo of very incredible friends you know to help her and the law actually being on her side Rihanna yes thank you I mean I think you know when you live with a lie for that long and it becomes habit I I I think she could not deal, you know, once, once her secret started spilling over to these other people, she just could not deal with continuing to drag them into it, like you said. So I think this was exactly the right thing to do. She could not live with it any longer. And yeah, just amazing work by everyone. I just want to do a quick last shout out to Nira because I I just think she's so cool. I wanted to read this speech that she gives that I thought was like really impactful. So she says, Permanent gene modification is illegal under Federation law. Slavery was once legal. Apartheid was legal. Discrimination against people for how they worshipped, how they loved, their gender, color of their skin, all were legal at one time or another. A law does not make something just. I'm not saying the Federation means to do harm. Their experience with genetic modification. The eugenics wars was horrific. The pain that Earth felt unimaginable. The Federation built a utopia in its wake, and in an effort to protect that utopia, they became blinded by centuries-old fear, so much that they have, perhaps unknowingly, become persecutors. 
My client is only here because of who she is and because she felt she had no other choice than to hide that fact. Just like the millions before her who were forced to hide how they worshipped, how they loved, what they truly looked like because it made others uncomfortable, because it made others afraid. If a law is not just, then I ask, how are we to trust those who created that law to serve justice? Boom. Drumhead. Ashlyn, thank you for reading that. That is one of the most significant quotes in all of Strange New Worlds. It's so applicable to today, to the 60s, to the 70s, to 10 years from now. I'm sure it will be still. Like, this is just incredible and so important Important of a reminder. Just because a law exists doesn't mean that it should. Um, just because a law exists might mean that there's bigotry behind that law and there usually is you know and i think that putting a spotlight on that through starfleet is beautifully beautifully done because this is again a part of something i love about new trek and something that was explored even deep into deep space nine and voyager even like has explored the places where starfleet went wrong where they where they found themselves not looking out for the needs of the many or the needs of the few, you know, only looking out for their own interest. And so it was just a beautiful way of bringing Nira in to shine a light on this and to really show that Starfleet has its flaws. And one of the biggest flaws is this disallowment of augments in Starfleet. And I'm just saying that if uh, Admiral Janeway was alive right now she would absolutely be advocating for Una because she advocated for Dell and I just love that you know thought that like even Starfleet will improve upon itself and have people within Starfleet advocating for augments um in the future so I, I was good news to think I about. was <laughs> thinking the exact same thing because when Robert April Admiral Robert April comes to the stand he did not know at the time that Una was Illyrian and yet he sponsored her entrance into the academy and so he's asked then while he's on the stand if you had known would you have let her in and he's like he says no initially and then he changes his answer he's like damn straight I would have but I was thinking yeah. Janeway would have been like fuck yeah of course <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's advocating for ex-Borg Bo she's advocating for augments like a uh, queen Women, talk about women supporting women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I, I just love that. And I think this episode is such a beautiful exploration of Una's character. And like you were talking about how deep her relationship with Starfleet really runs. The thing that just shocks me is like you hear in detail how she was discriminated against and how a, like they were on a Federation colony, you know? Yes, um, yeah this is this is nuts so she experienced this segregation because of starfleet and yet mm -hmm. like she sees through everything that happened it's baffling to me like i don't i don't understand it to be honest yeah i mean i think it is one of those instances of like running away to starfleet but yeah i find that so interesting and the fact that she continues to serve starfleet into be gung-ho about it you know that's what i was saying earlier like i could not uphold an institution like that especially if it repressed or if it's a, if it oppressed me you know like my family yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. What? and what's to who's to say that this isn't still happening this is my question is this this is this an ongoing like discriminate discrimination of the illyrians it seems like it <laughs> very yeah. much seems like it it super know? is and the fact that it's still going on in voyager's time which is like over 100 years from this time like that's 
you know? Free, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I think holograms get rights before augments. Like, jeez, I'm not. Crazy to think and they're of. kind of like augments anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, the, the, the point of all this is that Una has such a thing for Starfleet that yeah. she becomes the poster child yes. of Starfleet <laughs> because in those old scientists, bless blessings upon oh. this episode we see boimler um glory to kalas we see boimler in this episode and he is freaking out every time he sees una and he's doing a terrible job of hiding his feelings because she like sneaks up on him not on not on not on purpose but she yeah you know scares him when he's in sick bay and he's just woken up and sees captain pike and is trying to computer end program out of this situation but he sees una and he jumps out of that bio bed so to fast. attention yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes i love that that mariner's expert explanation later because mariner's here too she oh, yeah by the way yeah mariner's <laughs> yeah. here you know casual um her explanation is like like sorry he's so weird he just like idolizes you like truly like the ground that she walks on you know and and we do find out and see actually evidence that Boimler does indeed have a poster of Una in his bunk. Um, this is just amazing to me because we've been hearing this sort of throughout this 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 uh, idea throughout all of Strange New Worlds that Una is sort of even Kirk said like you're someone that I've always heard you know keeps their distance from the crew but is like very exemplary and like the poster child you know Starfleet kind of thing and. Um, there is that, you know, almost re reverence that people have for Una, who are still in Starfleet, you know, the people in Starfleet have this reverence and people who, you know, look up to her and stuff. I don't know, it's just really amazing to see. And I love that Boimler is like almost too scared to even talk to her. Like that is so on brand for him. <laughs> I mean, she must be like the the Wonder Woman of Starfleet, you know, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> someone who's just so like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. glory. Oh, and, royalty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Starfleet royalty. Exactly. Historic. Yeah. For her oh, reputation truly. to have survived for this long. Yeah, and just I, like yes, kick-ass woman who started out with no name, with just number one. You know, is now Una Chin Riley, like poster child of Starfleet. Like, mwah, incredible. <laughs> Thank you, Major Barrett. You walked so Una could fly. <laughs> yes, literally. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, and thanks for bringing up the her little moments in uh, Subspace Rhapsody because she she has oh, you so know <laughs> that conversation with Kirk, the hilarious duet that we talked about, and in general, like I. I don't see that her hardcore reputation is changing mm -hmm. at all. Like she's still just as efficient, just as yeah. badass as always, practical as always. But I think she is spending the time to be, to show her silly side a little bit more. Yes. I think about even in those old scientists, when she learns like at Asper Perispera, Boimler says that was on the poster with the photo of her and she said they put that on the poster like recruiting yeah. and it's she mm -hmm. said it in such a cute way that I I don't know she she's not afraid to show this playful side of herself towards the end of season two and I really appreciate that yeah and very humble about all of her amazing deeds um yeah I mean one of my favorite things she says in subspace rhapsody or sings I should say is um where like essentially um isolating myself doesn't serve me now you know and I, I use that a lot with thinking about my own anxiety and how 
yeah, it served me great in school, but now it's not serving me anymore. And it's just making me feel more anxious. <laughs> wow, go figure, you know? And so I feel similar, or I just love that sort of idea of like this thing that used to be a protective shield for me is now just isolating me further and actually not serving me anymore. And I want to like with, like with the on, I want to live and not serve, not just survive. So I think what you mean is so the cool. secrets we keep down inside. Yes. <laughs> keep us awake and cut like a knife. Yeah, exactly. Um, She's so, so good. I love her and yeah. her little be your own best friend. <laughs> and confidant. <laughs> Got to float around the room a little with Una. You know? it's, it's really true, though. And it is a good reminder that the things that we learned because of our trauma are not necessarily the answers to every situation. And I think it takes yes. a lot of self-awareness to understand that. <laughs> and it's something that I've also been thinking about a lot, too. So thanks to Una, once again, for struggling yeah. through this with us, <laughs> with the mm -hmm. best of us. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And to show that she's not just like flawless, like she all we all have our faults. And I don't know, I'm just so impressed by these women and the writing and the acting. I think everyone has done so well in this series to show these exemplary women in all of these various roles, you know, so we are just have only really looked at half of them in this first part. And we'll continue to talk about them in part two next week, um, as we talk about Chapel to bring uh, Captain Battelle, Ahura, you know, the list goes on. So it's going to be so wonderful to dive into those characters next week. But this time around, we're, we're just going to um, sign off. And thank you for the spontaneous two-parter. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It, incredibly spontaneous um, yeah. two-parter. Before we go, I just really have to thank Ian Davies, Jordan Hirsch, Megan Chowning, MC Freudis, Spotted Giraffe, David Willett, Kurlan Naskos, Wolf Wit, Rick Mason, Anna F, John B, Gil Dara, Jeff Richardson, Never Otter Even, Anna Post, T. Alexander, Ivan Fetch, and Michelle. Thank you so much for being patrons of our podcast. And we, yeah, thank you for being patrons of the podcast. Thank you all for listening. Rihanna, thank you for joining me on this crazy journey. Wow, this, this has been a joy. I'm excited to record next week's episode and have that out to you all. Because after that, we will be starting the finale series. Whoa, whoa. So, oh, <laughs> oh my God, God I'm not, not ready yeah. for that. So, yay. all right. Well, thank you so much, Rihanna, for joining me on this beautiful you, weekend recording day. Absolutely. And don't let the Pataks get you down. Get you down. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for part two of our Strange New World Feminism episode. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, and Twitter to check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and our merch on Threadless. All these can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review of what any of whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. <laughs> just, it. just, just write down whatever you want to say. <laughs> but do it on any platform you listen. By donating $1, $6, or $23 per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive rewards for each tier. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. 
If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters Podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, movies, feminism, death fakeouts, first officers, spooky, holodeck, engineering, and the Mirror Universe series. If you haven't heard a particular series yet, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media, marketing, and editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Sensational, ovational, unstoppable, improbable, crew of the Okay, also, did you notice my outfit at all? Do yeah. you know what's going on? Do you yes, know I why? Your outfit at all, Troy. Do you know why? Um, do you have the logic? The logic behind it is yes. that Troy is a woman. <laughs> We're talking about feminism. <laughs> I'm a woman. Whoever, I cosplay as a woman. You're a woman, Hermione. <laughs> Oh, did you just notice? <laughs> oh, whatever. Yeah, well, um, no, what is it? What is okay. it? Okay, Ahura dresses up in her dress uniform, dress uniform. On, when she doesn't need to, and that's what I'm doing as well. <laughs> that's amazing. Great choice. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I've never worn this <laughs> before, a so bit, uh, niche, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> You're saying it's niche? That's bad. <laughs> Wait, that's so true. <laughs> I'm like the nichest person you'll meet. I know, I know. I was like, oh no, that means no. I'm d- deeper niche in this dress uniform <laughs> um, <No. laughs> complex. <laughs>